Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is my co-host, Jacob. Hello. All right, Jacob. So you decided to pick St. Elmo's Fire for this week's episode. So could you tell me why? Why did you pick this movie? Um. Well, mostly is trying to find a movie that kind of fit with the feel of this time of year as well as... It's a movie I hadn't thought about in a long time, and if knowing the cast that's in it and the fact that it came out the same year as The Breakfast Club and has a lot of the same actors in it, it, it really kind of made me think like, ah, well, Breakfast Club is obviously a very highly uh, valued movie for the time it came out so well i i don't know too many people that have seen saint elmo's fire mm-hmm. because there's just no one ever talks about it like in that year that everyone talks about breakfast club not this so i was like well let's go a little bit more of a a deep cut with it okay uh yeah so i i saw saint elmo's fire exactly one time prior to this uh watching it for this recording uh, it was a long time ago, uh, long enough that I, I didn't remember a lot of what happened. You know, <laughs> I, I remembered what, when I watched it for this recording, I, some things would happen in the movie and I was like, oh, okay, I kind of remember this. But by and large, most of it was just, okay, uh, like I was watching it for the first time because I think I watched it, uh, gotta be at least 15 years ago, probably longer. Yeah. You know, so in fact, actually, I think it was in college, so actually, it would be longer. Um, so anyway, um, this is this is a movie that is uh, well, I got I got a lot to say about it. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, but but before we get to that, let's do uh, geek speak. Uh, we haven't done this for a while, uh, but you said prior to the recording that you had a game that you wanted to talk about. So why don't you tell everybody for this geek speak segment? I might as well. If you haven't uh, listened to any of our Geek Speak uh, segments in prior podcasts, if you're a, a new listener, then uh, it's basically just a, a moment in the podcast where if there's some kind of book or game or or TV show, uh, movie, something out there that we feel that people might like to get into if they haven't already, if they don't know anything about it, and you have a game that you want to talk about, so take it away. Yeah, uh, the game uh, I wanted to talk about and bring up is called The Outer Worlds. Uh, most people have heard of uh, a similar series that is uh, the style, similar to the style of the game, uh, Fallout. Uh, this company that made Fallout New Vegas, which is called Obsidian, has also made this. And I know a lot of people who are big into video games loved Fallout New Vegas, especially because it has probably some of the most 
in-depth dialogue options of any kind of game of that style, like on any RPG, anything like that. So it's really cool to see them take a turn towards uh, a very different kind of open world RPG. And this one is, as you might be able to tell from the title, it's set in space. It has like brand new, no planets that we've ever heard of uh, by any stretch. It's just a very bright color palette, very unique environments on each of the planets, as well as just similar to fallout new Vegas. It has some of the best dialogue options I've seen in one of these games in a long time, as well as, uh, the decision-making in it, you have to make some very tough decisions and it can critically impact how the story plays out for you later on in the game. And it's really cool to see how that plays out and how at the very, like at the very end, it, it kind of lays out like what happens after you've beaten the story of it. And like, so people you've interacted with, whether you've helped them or whether you've, decided to be the most evil person ever and just decimate the town that you stopped by on a planet. It, it makes note of it and kind of tells you what happened. And it is just a really cool game and it can be as quick as you want or as long as you want. I know some people that were able to one of their playthroughs beat it in like 10 hours. Some people, they just love to explore it. And they're still on their first playthrough and they're at like 60 hours in. So it's it's a great game for pretty much anybody that loves RPGs and wants to just make a game that really follows what they want to do. But yeah, it, I mean, I it, highly it, suggest it. It, if it sounds like a great never game. Heard of it. Yeah, and and it's really cool because like I know a lot of people that are like super hardcore RPG gamers that like they just can't find any flaws with it. Like they they just released it like less than a month ago, and it's got people excited for the DLC to incorporate the new planets and new storylines and everything like that. Okay. Well, awesome. I'll have to check it out because uh, I'm always looking for a new game too. So, yeah. Uh, can you tell everybody what the name of the game is again? Uh, yeah, it's called The Outer Worlds. Yeah, uh, so it's, Like I said, it's beautifully uh, done. Like It's so bright and colorful and just has moments of that. And then like even with that bright color palette, it has moments where it can just still get very dark moments of like tension or like some of the characters like you find out what they're actually doing behind this very bright facade hmm. and uh, yeah it's just really cool excellent all right um well let's move on to talk about this uh this movie here because you know same same almost fire is you know, you, you talked about it being a bit of a deep cut considering the, the year it came out and of course everyone talks about uh, the Breakfast Club, but I think for for a lot of people, I think Saint Elmo's Fire is probably as emblematic of the '80s as just about any movie out there. Um, the fashions, you know, and everything. I mean, when I'm thinking of the '80s, just watch 
Just watch Stand Up with <laughs> Fire because it is it is something else. Okay. Oof. Yeah. It really it really is. And so I actually think, you know, and look, regardless of my opinion of the movie, which we'll get to, the movie itself, it is kind of when people think of the stereotypes of the eighties you could kind of wrap a lot of that all up in, you know, present it. And that is essentially seeing them with fire because there's so many things in this movie that I'm like, wow, that's like, you know, something when I think of the ages, I think of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Another thing. I mean, on and on and on um, it goes. So, uh, but anyway, let's, let's get into, let's get into the rundown. So this movie came out on June 28th, 1985. It was written by Joel Schumacher and Carl Kuhlander. It was directed by Joel Schumacher with a runtime of an hour and 50 minutes, a budget of $10 million and a box office of $37.8 million. Uh, the cast of this movie is, well, I mean, to be honest, it's like a who's who of... Right? Of the up and coming, I mean, look, it's the Brat Pack, right? Pretty I mean, much, it's the you know, and, and if you don't know who what the Brat Pack is, if if you're young enough that you don't recognize what that is, um, so in the '60s there was the Rat Pack, okay, and that was made up of, I mean, there was a, I mean, Dean Martin, um, uh, what am I thinking of, uh. I can't think of the names of them now, which is Sinatra. Yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, Frank Sinatra, uh, Dean Martin, uh, Sammy, oh, Dana, Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. And it was just like this group of like some of the most famous actors slash musicians of the era. Okay. And the Brat Pack, which, by the way, isn't a very great name when you really think about it because nope. it's just a bunch of brats, right? It's with, you know, and it took these actors years to break away from that moniker, right? Um, but the Brad Pack is made up of uh, these group of young, up-and-coming Hollywood actors that were taking, you know, the industry by storm at that time. Uh, it was, you know, Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Ali Sheedy, Judd Nelson, uh, Demi Moore. Uh, yeah, I think it's, that's about it. But, I mean, that's, it's a group of of actors, at least in this movie, those actors in particular were part of this Brat Pack, this young, you know, like the hottest actors, young actors in Hollywood at the time. Um, so anyway, it is, um, it's a movie that is as synonymous with their careers and with the Brat Pack itself, you know, as any movie that exists. I mean, a part, you know, I know The Breakfast Club and, and there's other ones too, um, and they're all kind of intertwined to a certain extent with John Hughes as well. Because, of course, John Hughes wrote uh, The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Um, so w- when you think of the Brat Pack, the era is is kind of – it's about a four-year period there, right? Uh, maybe five years, from about 84 to about 88 or so. Um, that's about the – the Brat Pack era right there because they were in all these movies together. Like they were always showing up in movies together. They were um, in, in, you know, even if they weren't showing up in movies together, they were like lawyers and in different, you know, roles like that um, in, 
you know, movies throughout, you know, the mid to late 80s. So, and when people mention the Brat Pack, that's what they're talking about. It's just these group of actors uh, of that era. So, uh, so oh yeah, yeah, I guess I probably should list the actors because we're just talking about the Brat Pack. But yeah, I mean, that's what it really is. Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Demi Moore, Jed Nelson, Ali Sheedy, uh, Mary Winningham, uh, Andy McDowell. I believe this was her debut as an actress, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, by the way, she's credited this movie for basically her life and her career. Um, because this was the, because she was an, uh, a model prior to to becoming an actress and i think this is the movie that actually gave her the opportunity to do that so all right so um the plot synopsis for this movie in a nutshell because i I try not to be too spoilery with this here but after graduation a group of uh, college graduates uh, college graduate friends attempt to navigate the adult world and figure out what they want from life so, Jacob, give me your one sentence review for this movie. Uh, I have uh, Saint Elmo's Fire is a coming to age movie with a surprisingly timeless theme behind it that is propelled by the performance of some of the actors. Okay, well, yeah, we're gonna be, <laughs> we're gonna be split on this movie a bit. Maybe we'll see. Maybe. Um, my, my one sentence review is seeing that with fire has problems, including the fact that it's a tonal mess and that is, and that most of its characters are terrible to one another and themselves, (laughs) which is true, by the way, that that is not, that is not, that's not, I hate to say it because I don't usually say this stuff. That's not an opinion. That's a fact in this movie. I mean, they are terrible to each other. I have a lot to say about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this movie. Like, it's not like by coming to age, I meant like it, it shows that like everybody's gonna have like there's just horrible people in the world, and even the bad people have to figure out what the hell they're trying to do with their life. I think there's like one decent person in this, yeah, cast like one, which is really freaking sad considering how many people. I think Andy, McDowell, yeah. Andy McDowell's character is like the only one that's not a horrible piece of crap. Well, um, and even she has moments. I I, I, I don't know. I think uh, Wendy is you know uh, she's yeah. like the friend, like the unrequited love kind of friend. Yeah. I mean, I guess he, her problem is that she's quiet. She knows and, that she's going after a married man and clearly has, oh, yeah. does not care right. that, it, she, that he's married. That's true. And still loves him and wants to be with him and even though he's a horrible human being. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Uh, he's and, and I hate to say this, but uh, he's right up there um, with, with Alec. And that's another character to get into all right like okay before we get into really diving into the script and talking about this just i mean beyond the one sentence review just you know give me give me your broad thoughts on this movie like like you just finished watching it what are you thinking like like we mentioned like everybody every character in this movie is is horrible like they're they're making horrible decisions and just 
screwing up their lives. But I think to me, the way I kind of took that is that in in the same sense of college, Mm -hmm. what it's meant to be showing that like, yeah, they're all horrible people. Like it's kind of glorifying it a little bit, but like a lot of ways it's also showing like everybody screws up everybody no one in the like this show this movie shows that it's so common like no one in this movie is perfect in any way shape or form and it just like and that's the thing like yeah they may have just graduated but it's also still one of those things it's like how different college is the real world as well as how even like, especially nowadays, like graduating college, there are a lot of people who still have like, they had this plan and it literally because of society, none of that's going to happen the way you want it in any way, shape or form. And you're just stuck trying to pick up the pieces of what the hell's going on and trying to figure out what you want to do. And then kind of feels like this show that this shows that themes even back then, and it's like a timeless issue that a lot of a lot of early 20s, even like to the extent like I know the most common theme is teenagers going into college, not knowing what they want to do when they graduate high school. But it's also a big thing for anyone graduating college, too. Mm-hmm. Hell, uh, the Kirby, he changed like granted it was for a girl, but he changed what he was going to do after college like seven times he's going to be a lawyer then uh then a doctor then a businessman then a then back to a doctor then back to a lawyer and they're like he just he had no clue none of that it seemed like anything he truly wanted well, just trying yeah. to figure out what he wants and it, and it's difficult it is it's a huge thing and well, it shows in this movie. And I've, even though they're all horrible people and I wanted to smack every single one of them, the, the message behind it, I feel like is, is a very good one in that sense of like, nobody knows. Like if, if they do, I, that's awesome. But like so many people don't know what the hell they're doing. They're rolling with it as they go. Okay. Well, let me, let me jump in here because, um, I, I get what you're saying and I agree, right? Yeah. I mean, I understand, you know, a lot of people are like that. You get out of college and you're like, what do I do? You know, maybe if you're lucky, you have something lined up. If you're not, yeah. or you realize you went to college for the wrong thing, well, I, I don't know. Good luck. You know, all you can do is do your best, right? Yeah. Here's the problem. I I understand what you're saying and I agree with it. There's nothing wrong with showing that being yeah. like this issue that kind of runs through all of the characters, you know, they get out of college and now all of a sudden it's like, what do I do? What am I looking for? All of that struggling to figure out what do you want to, what you want to do with your life? All of that. I have no problem with the movie confronting that theme. That's fine. Yeah. The problem is that these characters are horrible. <laughs> I mean, they are just horrible people. Like I understand being young and making mistakes. We've all done it. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. I don't know a single person that could say, well, I've never made a mistake. I was never young once, never did something stupid. I get that. But these characters do that all of the time. And some of them are just downright sociopaths. 
That's a no the no joke. I mean, tell me that Alec Oh god is yeah. not an is not a sociopath. I mean the guy if he's not a sociopath, he's he's darn close to He's narcissistic so. at least. At least like to right. such an extent. I mean, you know, this is a guy who justifies his actions because his girlfriend isn't sure that they're ready to be married yet. So that gives you know to him it gives him the right to go out and, you know, sleep with whatever women he wants to sleep with. Um which is which is ridiculous. And then, you know, he goes into a big meltdown when he finds out that uh you know, well, I mean, I understand this part, you know, that his his best friend or one of his best friends has slept with his his girlfriend. But you know, the, he he turns this behavior back on her and it's like, man, do you even like look at yourself in the mirror, man? Like, like think about what you have done. You know? Yeah. He's he's terrible. And I mean, it's not just him. It's not just Alec. I mean, oh, God, it's, no. it's uh, let's, hey, let's look at Kirby. Oh, God. Is he, is this guy like, like the next, like, serial killer? He I can't figure it out. Straight up level, like, American psycho with his freaking weird obsession with this woman. Right. So, okay. I, I feel like we're just be diving into characters here. Um, <laughs> because. Look, I mean, this whole movie, how long do you think, what's this movie stretch over the course of? A few oh, months? I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, because yeah, if, 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 I think do, it's like yeah. six months because it months. follows at the end of summer and yeah. then it goes to at Pre- least yeah. the holidays. Because... It goes through the holidays and then I think it goes into the spring, I think. or Yeah, because it's getting a little warmer out when they, at the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's still pretty cold. So yeah, it's probably roughly about six months. All right. So... If you look at Kirby's character, he's convinced that love exists. Fine. Right? He's He wants to be a lawyer. Fine. So then he spots this woman that he went out on a date with, what, one? He went, goes out on a date with one time. One time. He spots this girl. He's a freshman and she's a senior at a party years ago. Well, I'll be about four years ago, right? Because he was yeah. a freshman. Now he's he's graduate. Oh, by the way, there's no way she'd be a doctor right now. No, she'd be a medical student. At, at least interning, like yeah. yeah. But she she definitely would not be a full fledged doctor right no. now. Um, but that's grand scheme. That's a minor detail. I'm not gonna, you know, it, it's still a detail that they should get right, but. You know, this movie has a lot of other problems. Um, So anyway, he suddenly becomes obsessed with her in this movie. He follows her around. Like, they go out, they they have a date, which is disastrous. He's weird. She ends up (laughs) leaving. And then he becomes obsessed with her. He, He, you know, follows her on his bicycle in the rain. She goes into a party. He then, soaking wet, goes into the party. She says hi. He tells her, I'm obsessed. Then she takes him back to her place. She let me say, she takes him back to her place. A person who just walked in and said, I'm essentially, I'm obsessed with you. She then takes him back to her place. He leaves. Oh, no, no. First thing, he picks up her pillow. And he smells it. Jacob, he he smells her pillow like a <laughs> crazy person. 
like a serial yeah. killer. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he is absolutely bonkers. And then, and then, and then you're thinking, okay, this is terrible. But then he goes, you know what? I can do better than that. I'm not going to follow this girl, this woman and her boyfriend up to their cabin in the middle of winter. <laughs> and then the, here's the, he pounds on the door. The boyfriend answers then because they don't want him to freeze to death. They invite him in. When does that happen? Like oh, thinking of these yeah. scenarios, I'm thinking like this, this stuff. I'm sorry. I understand movies taking liberties. I understand tweaking things in a way to kind of maybe add an element of fantasy to it, you know, making situations maybe a little less plausible, but they still kind of work. You know, you're like, I'm not really, I'm, a, I'm fine with this. This movie is postulating circum, uh, scenarios that just would not happen, right? Nobody's going to take a person that just said, I'm obsessed with you, soaking wet at a party back to their place. No one is going to let a person who has found their cabin in the middle of winter and come up and pounded on the door in to stay the night. And then the next day, whenever they go outside, right, the boyfriend goes to get a camera. Like, this is like the greatest boyfriend in the world, by the way. Like, he must be oh, yeah. fully sure that he's never going to lose this girl. Because I don't, I mean, my my head, my alarm bells would be just ringing constantly. Like, like I'd be holding a knife all night long um, if this guy yeah. in that cabin. So he goes to get the camera. And then, then he like bends her over and kisses her, and yet, and she's like, "I might be making a mistake, by essentially by not like being with you." And it's just, I'm thinking like, "Are you crazy? Like, you are a doctor. I understand that you are not a psychologist, but at the same time, come on, this just there is no, there no. is nothing even remotely." plausible about this and i'm sorry if there are people out there that are listening to me going on about this rant if you love this movie i mean hey i'm glad that you like it and that's a big issue it is a very noticeable issue like no guy in that situation as this boyfriend would be like yeah let me go get a camera to take a photo of you and your stalker right no guy is like that no guy is ever gonna be like that if they are then they are just as crazy as the guy standing next to you stalking like that that's just bonkers there's no way that ever is going to happen i agree i wholeheartedly agree that there are so many implausible moments and issues with this movie well it's it's not just like that like from a total <laughs> excuse me sorry from a total standpoint tonal standpoint this movie is all over the place oh, you can't yeah. decide whether it wants to be a comedy whether it wants to be a drama whether it wants to go in like a much darker direction, which it eventually does go in, in, but and on top of that, everything is a joke, yeah. right? And I, I understand they're young. I understand that they're they're college graduates, and I'm sure you know they were the life of the party, you know, uh, when they were in college and all of that. I, I understand that, um, and I also understand, and I'd be fine with having a certain level of immaturity. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, okay, so at the beginning of the movie, uh, Billy wrecks um, Wendy's car, right? Yeah, almost kills one of them. I mean, this is an accident that could have resulted in a death. 
and they get out you know they get out of the car and and you have um um Alec kind of you know the funny thing in this movie is Alec will lecture somebody very seriously about being responsible and growing up and yet 10 seconds later someone cracks a joke and then they're all laughing and they're like let's go to see no one's fire and get some drinks yeah you just you just got into a car accident you know it's like um okay and this 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 kind of happens throughout the movie where like at some points i'm thinking this movie is going to turn a corner and it's going to finally get to a point where it wants to dive deeper because everything feels very surface level on this movie. Yeah. Um, the scenario itself for each of the characters is there. Fine. You get the basic setup. And then you get what I feel like are broad strokes that are painted. But that's about all you get. There's nothing deeper for the most part to this movie. And then some of the like things that the characters go through, like Billy, Billy spends a majority of the movie being a complete and utter asshole. Oh yeah. I mean, drop my keys into my pants, or drop, sorry, drop Jules's keys into my pants, into his pants, and then tell her that if she wants her keys back, she knows what she has to do. And then when that doesn't work, you get back in the car, you assume the missionary position for her. And then she she like says screw this and she wants to drive off, and she does. And it happens to be like the place they were at was right outside his wife's place. Yeah. Who does that? <laughs> horrible people. I mean, horrible, who, horrible but then people. here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. Um, what's the likelihood that Billy would go off to L.A. and get clean when he leaves? Not much. Oh god. I mean LA in the eighties. Yeah. yeah no. LA. LA's the place that you're gonna go to to get clean. Here's an idea. How about you go up into some small town in Maine? That yeah. sounds better. Um it's just probably a lot closer. <laughs> yeah, it it's it's just uh like, oh I'm gonna go off to Maine for like two seconds and now hey, I'm a clean I'm clean. I'm I'm fine. Like I've got my life together now. It, it doesn't even feel even remotely realistic at all. Yeah. You know? So anyway, I've been rambling on, what, you know, I've been throwing up all these characters and stuff. Like, what do you want to talk about? Like, what are your responses to any of these character situations? And what are your thoughts on, well, what are your thoughts on Kirby? What are your thoughts on Alec, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. They're horrible pieces of shit characters. Like, they're just all like... Alec is just the most narcissistic sociopath I think I could ever see in a, a show that's meant to make him likable. And, and it just doesn't, it doesn't make him likable. None of like, they all did a great job acting Yeah, for what they were given. Like, don't get me wrong. Like Rob Lowe did a fantastic job as Billy. Mm -hmm. Like he, he, he did a great job, but like, they just script wise. It's like, not a great script. It's not a great script. It no, really not. not at all. And and it just it's hard. Like you mentioned, there's like it goes from trying to be serious so much to being let's make jokes, especially with their ooga 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 oh. thing that they do <laughs> like randomly throughout. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like. 
it, it's yeah, weird. It's just such a... <laughs> which, I will give it probably one good thing about the characters. If they made Billy from Stranger Things so much like the Billy from this look-wise, holy crap, that mm. is spot on. Oh, it's it's very well done. It's Young very, Rob very Lowe well looks like Billy from Stranger Things, and it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, like the moment I saw him on screen, I was like, "Oh, am I what am I watching right now?" Because that's <laughs> my it was yeah, like and like you said, like there's so much of the '80s in this, like especially with Billy alone he has, he has so much him and jules are like the epitome of 80s and yeah. their tire their style that they had it was, it was crazy but yeah they're just horrible horrible characters horrible people that like there's like i mentioned at the beginning there's like two maybe two decent people in this and even then they're dumb like yeah. andy mcdowell she's not a horrible person she's no. just an idiot yeah like she's you certainly not like, a doctor inviting my stalker <laughs> in and that's how you get freaking on a news bulletin on 60 minutes like yeah. <laughs> you're gonna die <laughs> like that's how people die <laughs> yeah it, it it's just crazy yeah I, kirby kirby's ideas on what love love is are wrong and and I'd be fine if that was if like if this movie if his role in this movie was that his preconceived notion of what love is is wrong and that his journey in this movie is to finally realize that he is wrong and that the qualities that he's been focusing on are the wrong qualities that would be fine that would be a good character arc right but they're not it's somebody who's like this is what love is. And then he goes out and he sees – and don't get me wrong. Look, I, look, A.D. McDowell is is beautiful and I'm sure you – know, her character is is beautiful and I could easily understand Kirby like probably a lot of men initially being kind of starstruck, you know, seeing this very beautiful woman. But that's it. I mean if, if that's all that Kirby knows about her, again, it's all surface level. He doesn't know anything about this woman. Nothing. You know, he went to a kegger and, and when he was a freshman and she was in, in high or a, she was a, a senior in college. That's where they they saw each other one time. You know, uh, he, he got he's like, I got obsessed with her. Like, yeah, well, clearly that obsession was renewed. And, uh, you know, this is not love. This is an obsession. This is a problem. Kirby, <laughs> this is not this is not what you want to do. By the way, um, let's let's talk about let's talk about Kevin Andrew McCarthy's character. All right, okay. I was actually thinking about like bringing him up and like the sense they they tried to fix his idea of love. Okay, well, okay, what they did with this movie was something that is kind of interesting. Yeah. In fact, if I want to give the script any credit, and again, I'm not talking about these characters in this instance i'm not talking about the character being a good person oh yeah but the movie everyone seems to think that kevin is gay because uh he hasn't been with anybody 
apparently in quite some time. He is constantly talking about love being stupid, love being, you know, this, um, you know, arcane concept from a long time ago, yada, yada. He's just basically extremely negative on the idea of, of love at all. Yeah. So everyone's in, and he is always hanging around Alec. So everyone's kind of thinking like, uh, maybe he's kind of in love with Alec, you know, like he's got this attachment to Alec. And to be fair, they do a really good job in this movie of making you think that uh, because all the characters seem to be saying it and his actions seem to back up exactly what the characters seem to say. So you are thinking, wow, this is a revolutionary kind of thing. I mean, this is the mid 80s, the idea they have a major character be gay um, and, and treat it in a way that isn't completely crazy um, yeah. would be a bit of a revelatory, revelatory you know, moment in movies. Well, that's not the truth. Actually, he is in love with Leslie, who is, of course, the uh, girlfriend to Alec. And he's been in love with her apparently for a long time. So the reason he hangs around all the time, it seems to hang around Alec, is because of Leslie. So tell me about your thoughts on this character in this kind of part of the story. Yeah. He, he, like you said, it was actually one of the really good parts of the script. Like just making this character just very different than what we would have seen literally any other movie in the 80s uh it would have been revolutionary to have this character actually being a a gay character that wasn't just the stereotype or trying to rag on it or anything like that of actually being a well thought out and in-depth look at the character but no they had to no, I'm only staying around because I'm in love with the someone else's woman, uh, like every other male in this fucking <laughs> movie. Like, like he he literally tries to make himself out to be the the philosopher of the group, the the higher thinker, and he's no different. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, no, I think I, I mean, kudos. Like, other than how he acts with the male friends and not trying to be a complete nutter, you know, however you want to see it. Like, oh, yeah, he didn't actually end up telling her about Alec. He he did. It was he could have, you know, shot a, a freaking torch into that relationship from the get go and burned it to the ground. Yeah. But but like, <clears throat> it's just, yeah, it, it, it's like with every other character all all the females are freaking so damn naive in this movie and all the men are narcissistic assholes like right. it's just that's really all there is to the characters that they gave like they really like even though they gave them like superficial differences they're it's all the same kind of personality all the guys think that they deserve like they're the best thing for the females yeah and all the females are fucking unbelievably naive to believe that's true or that they can change or what whatever you want to do the, the only one that wasn't implausibly naive was jules and that was just because she was drugged up 90 percent of the time 
Which actually, a little uh, aside here, uh, Demi Moore had a, a pretty bad drug problem when she was cast for the movie. And um, Joel Schumacher forced her to leave the set one day because she was really, really high. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it was probably Coke, um, which I mean, it was the 80s, right? I mean, Yeah, and Coke was like the thing in the 80s. I mean, geez, it was like, you got, you probably got Coke with everything back in the eighties. Bought a dress, got some Coke. You know, it's just it seemed to be everywhere. It was it was flowing yeah. through not just I mean not just Hollywood but everywhere. Well, um, yeah, but it was especially bad in Hollywood and yeah. New York were like yeah. the two big ones because it was in the business world and in the limelight was right. Coke galore. Yeah, so she had a really she was really high. He sent her uh, off the set. And she had to go through rehab and promise to stay clean in order to play a character with a drug problem. Oh, I mean, man. I mean, I guess she could play it well. I mean, uh, you know what it's like. And that's – I guess I really shouldn't make light of it, honestly. But um, but uh, still, no. it, you know, it is – you know, it was the 80s and, and that was something that – was a problem, yeah. I think, for a lot of the actors. Hers was, like, really the only sympathetic character because, like, that is one of the things that, like, it, it, it is tough and mm-hmm. for a lot of people to deal with is the moment they get in that world, it is so difficult to get out. And, like, that's, like, really the only sympathetic aspect of any of the characters was her. Like, that, that struggle is it is tough for a lot of people to deal with. And like, clearly her life was not as glamorous as she made it out to be like at the end, like they did a really good, I thought that was also a really good moment between Billy and Jules. Yeah. Like show like her barricaded in her apartment and whatnot. Like that was actually, I thought really, really well done. And it really kind of showed like some depth of not horribleness. Right, to to both of those characters, but but yeah, like it it just Joel Schumacher really likes to stick to some really bad writing sometimes. <laughs> Oof, but um, yeah, it just like you said, they're just horrible people. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's uh. Let's keep going along here. Uh, so with like with like Kevin, I was a little more sympathetic to his character. Um, a little bit, you know. They he did end up sleeping with Leslie and and all of that, of course. Um, but he wasn't the he wasn't the worst character. Wendy, for me, we talked a little bit about her. She was just, you know, okay. So she was she was in love with, uh, Billy, and you know Billy was married, but. You get the sense that Wendy's been in love with Billy since they met in college, probably since the first time he met him, um, actually. She's pretty introverted as a character. Um, she comes from a rich family. Uh, it's it's not a it's a situation. Well, it's a situation that is understandable that happens a lot right you meet somebody you kind of fall in love with them they end up getting married or something or get into a serious relationship and you kind of carry a torch for them for a long time that, that's, that's fine the group. It, yeah it, it is <laughs> like right 
It is, actually. <laughs> like, it's very odd that he literally had the same situation and the just a little bit farther along for her. Right. And she, and yeah, right. Exactly. Um, with, uh, with Jules, she did come across to me, uh, in, in some of the worst ways and some of ways which are sympathetic. One of the sympathetic thing is, um, is also her worst trait, right? She is uh, narcissistic, which really is all of them. Um, she puts on, this facade all the time in the movie about being uh, successful and um, she always, with her boss. Right. Like, she's always dressing in a way which seems to indicate that she's really successful. And, you know, to be fair, she did get hired right out of college, but still um, it's a situation that you look, you know, you look at a character like her and you think, okay, she's got a successful career already. The problem is, uh, is that she has erratic behavior constantly. She's always creating situations in which she needs to be bailed out. She's basically creates drama because she needs, like she functions on the drama. Um, like the situation where she called uh, Leslie and uh, Alec because she was in that hotel with yeah. some Arab businessman? I yeah, guess. something like that. She said there was a bunch of coke there. And that they were and all wanted they basically wanted to have like a like a big an orgy. orgy. Yeah. And and yet when Alec comes and gets her, she's more or less They're just watching TV. Right. Like there's nothing going on here. And and then she makes a pass at him. Now, to be fair, this is this is Alec, so you know, he he would basically accept just about anybody, apparently. But, I mean, he does kind of turn her down because she wants him to go back to her place with him and, and you know, obviously sleep together, um, which doesn't happen, obviously. They, she takes him back, or, yeah, let me think. I think she takes him back to their place, and then he goes to bed, and I think Leslie and she stay up and, and talk or something. Um but, you know, she is uh, someone who puts on a lot of airs, but underneath it all, she is a complete and utter mess. I mean, I think you could argue that Joel's is, is as much of a mess as Billy is in this oh, movie. Yeah. Uh, Billy's a mess because he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, and I guess you could argue that Joel's doesn't know what she's doing either, but she at least feigns like she knows what she's doing. Whereas Billy constantly is just, you know, making sure everyone knows that he's a complete mess um, in this movie. But they're always, you know, they're, they're just sleeping with, with each other and, you know, just constantly, like, I, I, I watch this movie and I think, like, how are you guys friends? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How, they should not be friends. Like, I don't, I don't feel the, I, they try to make it feel like there's these bonds of love between these characters, but there's not. And I was watching this movie and I thought, Somebody watched The Big Chill from a few years prior, right? <laughs> and they yeah. probably thought, okay, The Big Chill is about these college friends who graduated like a decade earlier, roughly, um, maybe 15 years earlier, I can't remember now, like 10 or 15 years earlier, 
And now they come together for a friend's funeral. And they haven't really been together for a long time. But now they're all in the same house. And it brings up all these feelings and these things and, and this and that. And you watch The Big Chill and there's a structure to it. There is uh, the characters. I mean, not all the characters are extremely likable, but most of them are more likable. But there's situations that you feel sympathetic about. And I just feel like somebody watched The Big Chill and thought, why don't we make the movie about them right after they got out of college? Yeah. And this is what we got. I, I it, it just it, it doesn't work, though, for me. I, I just... These characters are not likable. They make stupid decisions, and they're either some of them are either sociopaths or just the next Ted Bundy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. On Kirby's that. Like, well in his way to being uh, an axe murderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's axe murderer, and Alec is literally turning into freaking Christian Bale from American Psycho. <laughs> yeah, actually. Like, like I, yeah. I'm, I'm like that's really what it seems like with them too. Freaking Rob Lowe's turning into Robert Downey Jr. in this, and 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 Rob Lowe was only 19 when he filmed this movie. Yeah, he like, was young, man. It was weird seeing him so young. Yeah, and uh, Mary, uh, Mary Will- Winningham was the oldest. I think she was 26, I think, when she filmed the movie. So, and she already had two kids. So that's kind yeah. of the funny thing. Like it was. I think she was end... also pregnant in this too. Oh, okay. Because I, like they used, like they were able to do that really well with her for not being like so uh, glamorized mm. in her her outfits. Okay. Well, that 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 worked out. That actually probably yeah, that really worked credit. out. That is surprisingly well done working out wise for them. Because if it was the other two, they would not have been able to pull that off as easily. Yeah. Because, yeah, especially Jules. Yeah, so I guess to sum up our kind of thoughts here, somewhere deep in this movie, buried deep within St. Elmo's Fire, I think, is a really, really good movie. Yeah. The problem is that it's just a collection of characters which are pretty terrible um and i understand it's there's nothing there's a difference between making characters that have problems right um that are trying to navigate i have no problem with with a movie like this about characters dealing with issues and problems that they're going through yeah it's just they there's they're so narcissistic and yeah. fine you could say well you know a lot of young you know teenagers and in, in young you know 20 something people are narcissistic okay i mean i can grant that to a degree but they're just most of them are just just downright awful awful to like i said in my one sentence review that they're awful to the themselves and they're awful to each other and and they're i mean even the scene at the end of the movie okay let's do that let's talk about the end of the movie right so jules gets fired from her job but she continues to make it Seem like she is working and sleeping with her boss and as well. With her boss, yeah. well, what ends up happening is she calls or no, Leslie confronts her about it, she denies it, and then eventually she admits the truth. 
But now Leslie can't get a hold of her, and so she gathers all of her friends together, which includes Alec, right? And then also Kevin. And, you know, everybody comes together, right, to, to save, except for uh, Mary. Um, Wendy. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, Wendy. Yeah, actresses. Yeah, yeah Wendy, Wendy isn't there, but everyone else is there. So you have these different scenarios that play out, and it's like almost a microcosm of the entire tonal issues of this movie. So they got this friend who could be killing themselves or dead right now. They can't yeah. get into the apartment. So you then you have uh, Kevin and Alec out on the fire escape. And there's a point where uh, Alec is, is like going to kill Kevin in this scene. Meanwhile, like the, the friends are racing to save their friend Jules. So you have this happening. Then you have um, Kirby with a blowtorch because <laughs> that's precisely what I want a uh, serial killer to have um, is a blowtorch uh, to, to inflict whatever pain around he can cause around him. At least it wasn't Alec because Alec probably would have fucking killed Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. At that moment. So, so, um, yeah. So Billy, Billy ends up showing up and he's the one that gets into the apartment, right? And Jules is in there. She's huddled in her, because they've repossessed all of her stuff, right? And she's basically sitting in an apartment with nothing there, just some random crap on the ground. The windows are open. Still pretty chilly out there because it's like, you know, spring, early spring. Um, and then, you know, he sits down in front of her and they have like this this conversation which doesn't last that long. Eventually, Kirby and company, they break in to the apartment and then somebody makes a joke. They pull out the alcohol and they start laughing. And then, you know, um, Joel's and Billy start laughing too because like I'm thinking like, what the hell is going on, guys? Like, what, what, what are, no, this doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's trying to be serious and then it's not serious at all because all of a sudden it's just a big party again. Like yeah. once they get in and she's not dead, it's like, ooh, she's alive. Let's, okay, buddy, we're going to you know, pass around the alcohol here. Everybody take a glass, you know, like, and, and like that magically yeah. solves all the problems. Yeah, it, it was really poorly done in that sense. Like, if it would have just been, like, something like a conversation that Billy and Jules were having and, like, something happened and he – like, they had, like, a moment where they, like, they they laughed in, in the moment of despair. Like, that would have been different because they would have been, like, okay, maybe he's trying to do something to help get stuff in perspective. That would have been laughing through the perfectly pain. fine. Yeah, yeah, laughing through the pain or laughing yeah. – like – Trying to him saying something that helped kind of put something in perspective or made her think like, okay, it isn't all horrible. That would have worked so much better and been fine. But the moment, like you mentioned, let's bring out the alcohol and let's all get drunk. It just takes it to a completely different tone from trying to help save her life and save her from herself to, well, we weren't really that concerned about her. Let's just all get drunk. We did just have like, a blowtorch that we we're going to use to we we're using a break break into her place because we were yeah. worried that she was going to kill herself. However, let's 
pass around the alcohol because that's precisely what someone who's on the verge of probably on the verge of suicide needs is some alcohol in there. A hand. depressant. Right. Right. Exactly. That's exactly, exactly <laughs> what they need. Oh my god. It's yeah. just it's a sorry, it's a complete mess, folks. And look, I know there are people out there that love this movie. And I know that I've seen them, I've read stuff online. People are like, I, I grew up in the 80s or I was a college graduate around the same time these guys were. And this movie kind of nails a lot of that. And yeah, some of the situations aren't realistic. But, and I get all that. There's like an element of nostalgia to this movie for people that either grew up or were around the same age as the as characters, right? Because, yeah. you know, connects them back to who they were back at this time, yada, yada. I get all that. I understand that. And I can forgive a movie not being entirely completely realistic. Like I don't need a movie to be completely realistic, but I need, there are certain times in this movie where I needed them to be authentic and real. When it's a movie like this, you kind of have to base it out of realistic reactions, realistic situations that people are going to. Well, because it's mostly realistic. I mean, like, yeah. is it, like, okay, this isn't a set on an alien uh, world, right? I mean, we are yeah. in a very realistic setting, right? Post post college, people trying to, like I said, yeah. navigate life and figure out what to do, you know, after they've graduated from college, and it's like, fine, that's that's great, wonderful. Um, but at least show me reactions that make any sense. It's one thing to be a person and just do something stupid. It's another yeah. thing to have reactions which don't feel like anybody would make this choice. Like nobody's going to, you know, going back to to Kirby, nobody's going to invite an obsessed person into their apartment, someone who's obsessed with you and by yourself, by the way. No one's going yeah. to let somebody into the cabin who's just driven two hours or wherever it was to to get up to this cabin in the middle of the night in – the middle of winter and and think that that's okay no nobody's going to make that decision because only a well only a dead person would make that decision yeah. okay because that's exactly or what horror doing. movie like that that is literally horror mo- like it's like those scenes in, oh, in every yeah. horror movie, like, oh, oh, you're a couple of teenagers about to have sex. Congratulations, you just invited Jason into your house. Or like or, that's basically what you did. Or, or he, this is even worse. This is more, I think, more emblematic of some of the decisions that I uh, were seeing in this movie. It's like when you think somebody might be in the house in a horror movie, and then you <laughs> go to the foot of the uh, attic or of the basement, and then you go, "Hello." Is anybody down <laughs> yeah. there? And then you decide for some reason to grab your flashlight and, and go, go down, down into the basement where there's a <laughs> yeah. killer. And it's like you because, you know, it's just stupid decisions that teenagers make in horror movies where you're just like slapping your hand into your face and saying, why? Because you know it's a stupid decision. They know it's a stupid decision. Everybody knows it's a stupid decision. And it's a decision that nobody would make. If I thought somebody was in my house, if I, I really felt like somebody was in my house, I would not go to investigate. I would say, uh, try to get out of my window and flee. I would run for the door. I would not go and look around for a while because, you know, there might be an intruder. They might have a gun. They might have a knife. I'm now a dead person. 
And it's the same, it's the same thing here with this movie. It's just characters making stupid decisions, which in itself is fine if you could understand that the characters themselves would make that choice. Yeah. Instead, we get choices made that don't seem to have any rhyme or reason, except that there is no rhyme or reason. It's just like, oh, we need this character to go up here and do this. Why? Why do you need Kirby to go all the way up there? What What does that prove? Yeah. It, all it does is it tells Kirby that he was right. He sweeps this girl off her feet, apparently, you know, kisses her or something. And and like like it's like he's getting rewarded in this movie for being obsessed with this woman and following her around everywhere. Yeah. His reward is he kisses her and she seems okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no. The the it's stuff like that, and it, like it's not just this movie that does some stuff like that oh, that yeah. makes it seem like it's whole, like there's a lot of issues with some movies in the eighties, and this is definitely emblematic of that of like a warped sense of what love is of what some like you, you can just win a woman over by forcing yourself on her. Yeah. Like that, that's in no way, shape or form how things should actually be. And it's, we're seeing a lot of situations where now that's coming back to bite people in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. It's like, you know, like I said, if, if this was about Kirby figuring out what love really is, yeah. And he had a preconceived notion and then he realized he was wrong. That would be a good arc for him. But instead, it's just a reaffirmation of, I think, probably everything that he's thought about what love is yeah. in the worst ways. So anyway, yeah. <clears throat> we're out. The, the horse is dead. We've stabbed it to death <laughs> and we've been kicking it for a solid hour. So we probably, well, you know, was there, was there anything else you want to talk about? I mean. Well, I was just meaning, like, like you said, like, there's a lot wrong with this, but there's there are oh, some yeah, some things. deep in there, but there's some some redeeming things in this. Okay, it, it is not all horrible. No, no, it's mostly the writing, but like, there's a couple of things, and like you mentioned in your thing, like the the one thing that is something to take away is the theme that like there are a lot of a lot of people that just don't know what they're going to do with their life. And that theme is very much a timeless situation. Like even with after graduating high school or college or heck, I've even seen it where people will be 50 years old and they're like, I, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. Like it just is something like change, like dealing with those changes. And it, it is a, that part was actually, I, a very nice theme that they introduced. They warped it and very much a, crazy way by having the most unlikable characters but it's also one of those things like yeah even horrible shitty people like alec that seem like they're getting everything they want in life don't actually get everything they want in life Mm -hmm. yeah it's true i mean look it's um there is a universality of this experience of getting out of college and Stepping into the the big cruel world, right? Because you go from high school, which is a little pond, to a bigger pond, uh, to let's say a lake in the form of college. You find yourself there, you adjust, and then you graduate from college and you jump into an ocean, yeah. and uh, the waves and and everything that goes along with trying to navigate that kind of 
you know, uh, situation is difficult. And it's difficult for a lot of people, most people. And so, yeah, there is a universality in that particular theme with this movie. And I think it's a lot of the reason why people do like this movie, because there's almost a reassurance when you watch St. Elmo's Fire, when you go, oh, yeah, that's right. It is hard. And a lot of other people go through it. So you can kind of connect that to, look, getting out of college, maybe a lot of people's lives are nuts, they're crazy, it's a mess, it's uh, all of that. Yeah. And that's fine. And I... I, I like I said, I don't I have no problem with the setup of this movie. I have no problem with the the broad strokes that they're trying to, to paint. Yeah. Uh, in terms of themes that it's they're just asking. the script behind it. <laughs> it's it's all of the details and it's the characters yeah. that are the problem. But you know, on top of that, I, I think that they nailed I think obviously the time and the place is is well done. The setting obviously is well done. Cinema's Fire was based on a watering hole called the Tombs from Georgetown. Um it's a, a place that students go to and and it's basically St. Elmo's Fire, essentially, in real life. Um yeah. which oh by the way, a little detail, they got the colors wrong that the characters wear for Georgetown. So <laughs> That you know, again, that's that's kind of a big, a big I mean, deal. It's it's one of those things. Like, come on, you, how do you get the colors wrong? That's, yeah, that's something that should have been taken care of. That's an easy <clears throat> research thing. That yeah, I mean, Just... look, there's you know the uncertainty of graduating from college and what we're doing. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of idealization. That goes on uh, in college and post college uh, as you kind of go out into the world, and I think the movie nails that pretty well. I mean, despite anything else and any of the problems I feel like this movie has, that I think is one of the things that really works in its favor. Um, going through that, I went through it. I'm sure you went through it. Uh, everybody goes through that. It's it's just part of growing up is uh, finding. Finding yourself post college, you know, people yeah. think you find yourself in college, and you do find yourself in college. But it's like every time you jump into the next phase of your life, you have to kind of find yourself. So when you go from high school to college, it's like you have to find yourself in college. Who am I? What am I about? And then you jump into the real world, well, with the world of post college, and you kind of have to do it all over again. Uh, except it's scarier because in college you're still in a setting that's kind of safe, right? You're it, there's a structure to it. You get up every day, you go to class, you do your homework, you do whatever um, you have friends, et cetera. But there's like a, like a cocoon to yeah. it. Right. And then you go out into society and there's no safety net anymore. It's just trying to survive now, you know? And I think it does really uh, nail that pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, like there's just a few hidden gems in here. It just takes some deep diving to find them. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's you know, and you know, you have uh, Saint Elmo's Fire, uh, of course, the movie, but you also have the song that's associated with it, Man in Motion, which is like the big song on the soundtrack, right? It's it's played all throughout the movie, um, but the Singer uh, for John Parr, he wasn't really all that excited to be associated with the movie. Um, 
he because the movie or the the song itself has nothing to do with the movie. Uh, the song is was written for a Paralympian, um, who was on in a wheelchair, right? Um, yeah. That's why it's called it's called Man in Motion, and because he's on wheels, as in like in a wheelchair. Um, so people think it has something to do with the movie. It has nothing to do with the movie. It has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. It's just a catchy song, released at the right time, and it was in this movie. So that's that's kind of that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh my. But yeah. So is there anything else that you want to add before we jump into the grades? No, I think, uh, like you mentioned earlier, I think we have officially beaten this dead horse. Yes, we have. <laughs> we, it, it's, it's been dead for a while. We've been a little brutal to it post-death. Um, a little bit. <clears throat> all right. So let's, uh, let's grade this, uh, movie. So, Give me your script grade. Uh, I gave it a sixty-seven. It, okay. It, it, it was. It did like like we talked about. It had a lot of issues. It just there's no faulting that. The only reason it's not lower is because there is a couple of hidden moments in here, hidden gems that make it not absolutely atrocious, mm-hmm. but. It, 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 yeah, it's still really bad in the sense of the tone issues, everything like that. The characters were horribly written. Yeah, there weren't a lot of redeeming qualities in there. No. I mean, like I said, they tried to make it like this. We're a big group and, you know, even like the group's like a big safety net for each other, which I get like it's a safe a safe space to kind of be yourself and to have problems. Yeah. And, and I kind of get that, but. Still, I mean, there's just so many negative aspects to every, almost everybody here. So, yeah, um, I gave it a 55. Okay, uh, kind of, you know, maybe it feels a little brutal, but you know, at the same time, I just, I just feel like there's so many, there's so many issues, uh, with this movie. I mean, we didn't really talk about it much, but Billy, like, he disappears for like two minutes, and then he's clean in this movie. He spends all this time just being a complete, total, you know, yeah, a mess. And yet he goes away and then like snap your fingers. He's back and he's like, I'm fine. Everything's good now, folks. And I'm thinking like, okay, from a script standpoint, that doesn't really work yeah. all that well. Because you, you can't see the growth. The growth yeah. is all off screen. So. Well, I think that's also part of a, an issue with it. And it kind of goes in hand with the editing too that we'll, yeah. we'll talk about in a little bit but it's like there's no sense of like time understanding how the how time progresses in this in any way shape or form no. like that two minutes it, it could have been a month we have no clue in no. in the movie like clearly we see time passes because we go from least warm enough for them to be outside without coats to having to wear coats and snow on the ground. But it it doesn't do the best of job of like helping explain what is like how how much time is passing, what's going on. Like, is this taking place over a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months? It was very brief things that tell us that, you know, bring in the new year. Fine. We see that. 
Uh, but but by and large, you're right. It's just it's um, it's just one scene after another. It doesn't you know tell you a whole lot about what time of the year we're in and how much time has passed from event to event. Yeah, because like you said, that that would help explain. Like at least like if we understood that Billy was actually gone for six weeks or something like that, that would make more sense. Like that would be more believable than two minutes on screen of like, well, two minutes could have been a day. Like that's not. Yeah, we don't know how long he's been gone. He just yeah. he disappears and then he comes back and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. He's even uh, if we didn't see the growth, at least then we'd be like, okay, no, that at least makes sense. He was actually like out of the picture, away from these influences for an extended period of time that he needed. Like even if the BS that he went to LA to do it would be at least like, okay, maybe if he maybe they have some good rehab places considering they have a crap ton of coke i don't know but uh yeah it just the this is kind of like just a big issue with like time in this movie is such a notable issue too along that lines yeah all right uh so overall our 61 is uh the script grade for for this uh you know which is is you know probably fair uh acting um you know, I uh, some of the performances I thought were were good. Uh, some of them I thought were okay. Um, you know, it was I gave it an eighty actually. I, I I'm trying to figure out whether or not I'm a little high on that, but I think eighty is is probably fair. I thought Rob Lowe was was uh, fantastic here. Um, you know, I think for the most part, everyone was was fairly solid but i think rob lowe was the one that really stood out the most yeah i i, I agree it, everyone did an okay job and the, the acting wasn't in any way really the problem with this movie yeah. they they did what honestly they did the best they could with some of the stuff they were given and yeah. i agree with you on rob lowe and I, I also have to say like demi moore did a pretty i would say a really good job as well with her character and mm-hmm. everything of that sort. And that were very similar uh, score. I gave it an 81 because th- there were some very good performances. And like you said, Rob Lowe was fantastic. I cannot deny his acting talent in this movie. He was actually really, really great. Especially for, especially for 19. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, he really came it, in and, and he was portraying a character who is, Older. I mean, this is a character who is is about what, four years older or so, roughly, than he currently is was at the time. Um, yeah. Which may not be a big deal for some people if you think about it, but but it's uh, you're portraying somebody who's undergone a lot of growth, and you haven't as an actor and a person at that point because you're 19 years old. So yeah. But um, all right. So that means that it's 80 overall for the acting. Uh, directing, I gave it a, I gave it a 72. Um, look, it's, it's a, for me, the directing suffers because it feels like it's a bit of a mess, like as the tonal issue issues in this movie are, uh, Schumacher is a little bit everywhere in this movie. There are some shots, which I actually thought were very good, like brilliant. Um, 
And then there's just a lot of stuff. And it could be like part of the editing issues with this movie as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But it just, it doesn't, f- it feels like the director is kind of just, was just everywhere. I always feel like that, and I have no proof of this, but he shot reels upon reels of extra footage that never got used. You know, it's almost like he just shot a bunch of stuff and a bunch more stuff and a bunch more stuff. And they just kind of cobbled things together because I don't I don't feel like this movie flows very well. And I think part of that comes with the way it was directed, which didn't doesn't feel particularly great. It's serviceable. It gets the job done, but I don't feel Schumacher was particularly great here. Yeah. I I agree with a lot of what you said. He just, especially with his young, like with the the cast that he had, it like I don't know. I feel like he he just didn't do as much as he could have with them. Either he either he tr- tried way too hard to get him to do what he wanted, or he just. I don't know. I, if he would have done what he did with like Rob Lowe and let him kind of have his style of acting, some of the stuff and like some of the shots would have been great. Cause like, honestly the Rob Lowe stuff is where some of the best shots are. Yeah. And then some of the others is just horrible. Like, I mean, Kevin had some really good ones as well, but it's just so jumbled, so messy. Um, or just pedestrian looking at times. Yeah, like yeah, some of it just looks so like anybody could have directed that that particular yeah. scene. Um, yeah, so uh, I I gave him a sixty nine. There was just and and it's kind of become a thing as well with him with his name. Like <laughs> Schumacher is kind of known for not being the best director. No, and he's I, okay. I, He's, I've seen, you know... The... I mean, he's got some good stuff, but there's, like, some of his bigger and more popular stuff has been kind of put on blast and ridiculed, which is unfortunate, because he does have some decent stuff. It's just unfortunate when some of his bigger-named stuff, like Well, when Batman, Batman and Robin is there, <laughs> it just totally destroys your whole <laughs> Yeah, like, the one of your biggest name movies is batman and robin and it is critically bombed Mm -hmm. and destroyed it kind of just leaves it's it's like with m night Shyamalan. it just kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you when you hear the name which is unfortunate because like i said he does have some decent stuff out there and just this kind of this movie is falling closer in line with the batman and robin (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) for him but but yeah, I gave it a 69 for directing. All right. So it makes it a 70 for directing overall. Uh, no special effects or makeup grade for this because there just isn't anything <laughs> yeah, um, I, to it, talk about there. Uh, pacing for this movie is weird. I mean, it's just, it's a 70 for me. It, it could, I might be, I might be generous here, but the pacing the pacing, the directing, and the editing don't do this movie any favors, apart from any script issues I had. The directing is at times, I felt like, you know, pedestrian at times. I felt like the pacing of the story is weird because, like you said, we have a hard time figuring out what's going on and what time and how much time has passed. Um, 
So the pacing of the story is a bit weird. Uh, we talked about Rob Lowe kind of disappearing and coming back super quick, and now he's he's a hundred percent good to go. Um, but apart from that, it's just in the editing is just weird. It's just got a weird editing style. It does not do the movie. I think my personal opinion doesn't do the movie any favors. There's times where the, like the actors are getting cut off from the line that they're saying at the end of the scene. I mean, it's like they're in such a hurry to get to the next scene. It's like, they're cutting everything so closely that it doesn't give anything, any breathing room in this movie. Um, It's like, we need to be under two hours. And so they are like, well, our cut is two hours and 10 minutes. Well, you need to slice off as much as you can. It just, editing, it's not, it's not great. And pacing wise uh, for the story, I just felt like it was, eh. Yeah. 70. (laughs) <laughs> no, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, it, it was just, it, it, and it didn't help like with some of the stuff and like the the shots with with the characters feeling so rushed. It, it makes it even worse when it's like no time to breathe for us or the characters. But it's also it's like it, it didn't make it at least entertaining in in that sense. Like it wasn't being a movie stylized like this, that's meant to be more of a realistic movie. You can't really do that because there, there's not really like anything act like, obviously there's no action. There's no, nothing to kind of get that climactic moment other than I'm going to hold him off a balcony, which gets shortcutted by random moments of laughing and jokes. And it just, yeah, edited and pacing was just so. It's it's almost as if there were two freaking directors behind this because it seemed like they could not make up their mind to how they what kind of movie they wanted, in a lot of ways, and and a lot of it seems to show with the pacing and with the editing and like the time issue I mentioned. It just yeah, mm-hmm. it it was a rough go, and I'm being a little. A little less generous than you. I'm giving it a 64. Okay. Uh, 64. Um, well, hey, look, it's it's fine, obviously. Oh, it's, no. You know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just funny. Because, like, the moment you're like, and I think I'm being generous, I'm like, eh. <laughs> all right. And then they kind of looking at my score. It's like, oh, all right, then. I don't feel as bad now about being as generous as I was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because some of these, I was like, man, am I being too nice on some of these? Well, I, like, you some know, of them were good, and then some was like, uh. It's like you, you see uh, you see this movie, and you're thinking, okay. Because um, I was like, I got out uh, of watching the movie last night, and... Uh, I thought, man, this is probably like a movie that Jacob loves, and I'm going to go in tomorrow, and I'm going to absolutely destroy this this movie. Oh, no. Um, which is – I'm actually happy because <laughs> 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 I feel really bad if I'm like, yeah, this is like the worst movie ever, you know? Oh, gosh, no. Um, Don't worry about that. <clears throat> I have tough skin. I can handle it. So Even if that was the case, which – yeah, I'm also really glad as well because I was like – Man, I'm kind of like really reaming this, and like I really hope like Mike doesn't just like like oh no, this has some of the greatest shots ever, and I'm like, 
I really hope. Well, we're both on the same page as usual, so it just kind of worked out that way. Because uh, I was like, I was, I was totally afraid you were gonna love this movie. I'm just gonna like destroy it and everything. But uh, rewatchability for this for this. Oh, by the way, it's a 67. Um, for overall, yeah, cool. So, um, I'm gonna give it a uh, a 50 for rewatch rewatchability. Um. <laughs> It, it just, it just, and look, I love, I love the eighties. Like I, I was born in the early eighties, so I grew up partially in the eighties, but the majority of my growing up was in the nineties, right? That's where I was a a teenager and everything. So I don't, I don't have a, a a huge affinity for the eighties necessarily. Um, but I I love the eighties as well. Yeah, but at the same time, like I watch this movie and I'm thinking, okay, there's things that I, there's things that I love about this movie. You know, there's no, there's no cell phones. You know, there's no technology. If you gotta find somebody, you gotta track them down. You know, you gotta all the pre-internet, pre-technology that we have today, which is nice to see. Uh, but there is just so many issues with this movie that it's not something I'm gonna find myself wanting to revisit often yeah and and to be fair like if you really want to you want some 80s like there's a great show right now that you know yeah go watch stranger things exactly like and that's the thing like it's it's not like oh it's just from a different time and a different era so it there's that disconnect like right now 80s stylized stuff is big right now and stranger things is one of the key factors of showing that and it oh the fashion's yeah. coming back dude yeah, so oh god really i hope not. i just the biggest thing i hope doesn't come back is the mullet i really hope that well, stays i think that won't be coming back but i, I think but that, i hope not I, it, I, i'd like yeah. there's just so many things that shouldn't <laughs> that should stay buried in the 80s vault because let's be honest some of them were like some of those puff jackets man some of those were so unreasonably large. Yes, it was. It was bad. It was bad. <laughs> um, but, all right. So, would you give the rewatchability for this? Uh, I gave it a forty because mm, yeah, I, I've seen it a total of two times now, and I'm probably good with never watching it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably yeah, probably in the same one, uh, same as you. I I don't. I don't know that I would like. I wouldn't sit and watch this unless uh, I think a friend was like, "Hey, I've never seen this movie. Do you want to watch it?" I'd probably be like, "Fine, <laughs> I'll rewatch it." But I'm not going to be like, "Oh, I want to go sit and watch you know, seeing Almost Fire." I mean, look, the cast is is beautiful and young, and they're like, you know, these people that you probably know because you've seen them in a bunch of movies in that same era, and there's a certain, you know, pull to wanting to see these actors all together like this, and that's probably the bigger thing about this movie is it it does have all these huge names at the time that were just taking over Hollywood and everybody was watching movies that they were in and they were always in these other, each other's movies and it was just this huge thing almost like a mini cottage industry within Hollywood itself was you know getting the brat pack together in movies um so there's something about that but it's just it's it's not it's not something that I think is gonna pull a lot of people if you're not from that era or you don't remember that era so yeah it's a 45 free watchability uh 
overall, my greatest is a 69. Yours is a 70. So it's a 69 for seeing them with fire. So pretty on, pretty on point. Yep. As, as we seem to be most of the time, we <laughs> tend to be usually within a couple of points of each other, you know, usually <laughs> roughly big so. fish was the, it was the uh, odd one out. I yeah. will say that we did get that one different. Yep. yep we did. All right, Jacob. So that's it. Santa was fire 69. Um, <laughs> you know, um, honestly which kind of falls in line with some of the reviews online too i was kind of curious about that after i came up with my scores and be like how does this fall in line with some other stuff yeah it's metacritic is actually a lot lower (laughs) so we were nice yeah 69 actually is probably a little lower than i think it probably deserves i think it's you know looking at it it's it's probably a it's probably a movie i would actually grade probably around 60 but you know, it doesn't it doesn't come we out were that generous. Yes, we were generous. <laughs> um all right everybody, that's it for this episode of the podcast. So thanks for listening. And if you'd like to send in feedback, you can send it to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can go to our website at freakinggeeks.com and uh, use the contact form to send me any uh, or send me an email. And you can also contact us on Twitter at, at freakgeeksmedia. So uh, that's it. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed listening to us destroy pretty much uh, a <laughs> with fire. If it's a movie that you have loved, um, my assumption is you stopped listening a long time ago uh, and turned us off, which uh, if that's, the, that's what happened, then I guess saying sorry isn't going to really do anything uh, here for you because you're not getting to this point. But uh, if you've yeah. never listened to, to um, or if you've never watched Cinema with fire or uh, you don't have any particular attachment to it uh you know maybe you agree maybe you don't agree with what our review is uh, if you don't agree or you do agree don't be afraid to send in feedback and let us know what you think so um all right that's it jacob any final thoughts before we head out uh no not really okay. we kind of <laughs> we, we, we really yeah we got everything out that we really could in this movie at the towards the beginning of it yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time on the Freaking Geeks podcast. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit freakinggeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com/slash freakinggeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. If you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanich. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks.